All right, I hope everyone has enjoyed um, celebrating Christ's birth uh, this year or last year. Um, it, it always kind of seems anticlimactic after Christmas, New Year's and everything. It's just kind of like, I don't know. It's like after the big celebration of Christmas, uh, moving on to a new year. But I am thankful for the opportunity to preach today. And I, I've really been trying to get my head around what God wants to say this morning from his word. And, you know, today being a new year, I don't want to give just another sermon about resolutions. I feel like we probably, we've probably heard a lot of those. Um, and, and the truth is that deciding to pursue a new habit uh, is usually only good for a season. Rarely do we keep a year-long commitment to change just about anything in our lives. But I think the reason why might point to something a little bit deeper. The reason why we aren't good at sticking with New Year's resolutions is because we try to change our actions without changing how we think. For example, I think it's safe to say that most of us would like to share the gospel better this year. But if you and I go home today with our minds set on simply trying harder to go share the gospel more, it's probably not going to change very much. But if we somehow experience a change in our thinking about who we are in Christ and who the lost are without him, it could change everything. And it's my hope today that we would do just that. We would experience a change in our thinking. This morning, we'll be taking a fresh look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. And as we read, you can feel free to follow along in your Bible, your bulletin, or on screen. And it's kind of funny because I opened up the Bible app this morning, and lo and behold, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 was the, the verse of the day. And I just thought, well, that's a God thing. But again, that's 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Starting in verse 16, Paul writes, From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, as we unpack this text, we will draw out three steps, uh, ways of thinking uh, that we need to take to share the gospel better in 2023. First, change your perspective about others. Second, own your new identity. And third, embrace the ministry of reconciliation. Now, why is it always three points? Because I'm my father's son. Why are the points not alliterated, and why do they not form an acrostic? Well, we have our differences. <laughs> the first and second sentence of our text today is all about knowing others from a worldly perspective. Now, it's important to notice that verse 16 starts with the phrase, from now on, then. Now, quick word of advice before I go on. When you're doing your own personal Bible study at home, it's always a good idea to look at the preceding context and read that when you see sentences. Uh, that start with conjunctions like so, that, therefore, but, and, or. And while the chapter breaks and verses are usually helpful, sometimes they can take away from the original flow of thought in the Greek. 
In this case, Paul is really referring all the way back to verses 12 through 15, where he basically is making a defense of both Timothy and his own intentions to the Corinthians. His main point was that his relationship with both Christ and the Corinthians was not for selfish gain, but for spiritual gain. The passage we have today is actually a continuation of Paul's defense. However, that absolutely does not mean that these words are not for us here and now. For one thing, the arguments that Paul uses to defend his Christ-centered intentions with the Corinthian church double as doctrinal truths for all believers. For another, if this passage is not for us today, then we would have to wonder what to do with what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.16, that all scripture is inspired by God, is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, while I do want us to understand where this passage fits within the larger context of 2 Corinthians, I don't want us to forget that this is for us. And now that we've clarified that, let's jump into the specifics of what in the world verse 16 is actually talking about. In verse 15, Paul explains that believers no longer live for themselves, but for Christ. In verse 16, Paul builds on the logic of that argument by adding that those who are living in Christ don't know anyone from a worldly perspective. And also that although he knew Christ through a worldly perspective prior to conversion, he no longer knows Christ in this way. The takeaway for us is really quite simple. Don't know anyone from a worldly perspective. The question is, what does that specifically mean? Well, let's start by digging into the idea of knowing someone. The word relational or relationship comes to mind. How you know someone refers to how you think about others. I think the way that you know someone exists within the confines of who that person is supposed to be in your life. For example, the way you know your spouse is not the same way that you know your kids. The way you know your parents is not the same way that you know your friends. Knowing someone in this context is about how you think of and relate to others. So the Word of God says that we are not supposed to know anyone from a worldly perspective. Not anyone in our family, not anyone in our church, and not anyone outside of our church. The phrase worldly perspective sounds general or perhaps a little bit abstract, but the NASB translates the Greek here more literally as according to the flesh. And maybe that doesn't help much. But the idea is that we are not to think of others from a human or fleshly outlook. Thankfully, Paul defined what the works of the flesh are in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, which says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Quite the list. Now, our passage today is not about a particular list of acts of the flesh, but it's about the way that we're supposed to think of others. What Galatians 5, 19-21 does is it helps us define the flesh, which in turn helps us define what a worldly perspective is. So, what we are going to do is take a quick look at three worldly ways of thinking about others. Now, the very first item is an impure perspective. And that's based on the three uh, attributes that Paul lists at the beginning of the passage. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, and promiscuity. Now guys, the picture on your computer screen is not just a picture. It's a person 
that you are deciding to know in an impure way. Ladies, what you wear influences how you are known by others. Do not know anyone from an impure perspective because impurity is of the world. Second, don't know anyone from a selfish perspective. I get the word selfish from the word strife, jealousy, and selfish ambition in Galatians 5.20. Do you, find, do you define your coworkers or employees by what they can give you or how they can benefit you? Is your neighbor simply the owner of the things you wish you could have? Don't know anyone from a selfish perspective because selfishness is of the world. Third, don't know anyone from a divisive perspective. I get the word divisive from the word dissensions, factions, and hatreds in verses 20 and 21. Have you ever noticed there are so many ways to be labeled and defined these days? It's only human to form strong opinions, find others like us, and hate everyone else who disagrees. (laughs) But have you given in to that just a little bit at all lately? It's easy to do. I've done it. I've been there. Is everyone you know either a conservative or a liberal? Do you know people according to the specific sins they do or do not practice? Do you know other Christians as Arminians, Calvinists, Dispensationalists, Fundamentalists, or any of the other thousands of theological positions and labels? Do you know others as rich or poor? Hopefully you're starting to get my point. Now let me tell you a quick story about one of our very own here at Go Church, Mr. Ryan Wake. And yes, I did get permission from him to tell this story. Now, if you've been coming to Go Church for a while, uh, you may have gotten to know Ryan. He's awesome. He's in my accountability group at, at men's group on Monday nights. And one night, Ryan shared this awesome story about a very woke employee that works in his industry. Now, what you need to understand about Ryan is that he is about as conservative as he gets. <laughs> and I don't think he would mind me saying that. But Ryan chose not to focus on the labels. And he decided to see his employee as someone who needed Jesus instead. In the process of getting to know her, it became apparent that she had no one to spend Thanksgiving with, so Ryan invited her to his family's Thanksgiving. To his surprise, she accepted and showed up, and also to the surprise of those who were praying for him. And, And no one could have predicted what happened next. A prayer of Thanksgiving was shared, but the gospel was certainly not you know, cram down her throat, anything of that nature. But as a loving, welcoming family brought her in, the walls started to come down, and Ryan's daughter, Abby, got into a spiritual conversation with the employee. Later on, Ryan was surprised to discover that the employee was watching The Chosen and starting to ask Ryan questions about the God of the Bible. Now, the rest of the story is still being written, but it, it's an incredible example that Ryan and his family set that proves what dropping a divisive perspective can do. Listen, my point is not to say that you must somehow act like you don't notice where other people stand politically, culturally, or even materialistically. We are all human. We're going to notice that. But what I believe our text in 2 Corinthians 5.16 is saying is that how we think of others in the world and the church can either be from a worldly perspective, impurity, selfishness, divisiveness, or it can be of Christ. The next logical question is, how do we think of others then? Well, as much as I hate this phrase, I think it is actually perfect for what we are reading this morning. (laughs) There are two kinds of people in the world, those who know Christ and those who don't. 
What that means is that we aren't supposed to primarily define others by their political views, theological stances, or economic status. You're supposed to define others as either knowing Christ or not knowing him. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. The very next verse talks about being a new creation in Christ, that the old is gone, that the new has come. Have you ever really thought about or realized what that means for people who are not in Christ? It means that the new hasn't come and the old is still there. Make no mistake, sin is running rampant in the world and God will judge righteously in his timing. And I'll also add that I'm not saying that we're not supposed to be, that we're supposed to be okay with that. Sin should bother you, evil should bother you. You were made in the image of God. But my point is this, we have to stop thinking of others in the world as the way they tell us to. And we need to wake up and realize who these people really are. They're lost and they need a savior. We also need to stop knowing others in the church for the subset of theological beliefs they hold and start knowing each other as brothers and sisters again in Christ. We can and do have our differences, but at the end of the day, what should matter to me and what should matter to you is that we are in Christ. Folks, if we want to share the gospel better this year, we need to change our perspective about others, both in the church and in the world. Now, before we move on to the next section of this passage, we need to camp out for a little longer on verse 17. Now, this is the part of the passage that most of you have probably heard or read many, many times before. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. We've talked a little bit about what this means when it comes to thinking about others, but it also has significance in how you think about yourself. Before we help start this church. I spent some time in Kansas City to pursue my education. And after my wife and I plugged into a church there and we found a little uh, small group, um, I started to get to know a group of guys. And one of the guys there had this whole speech about being a new creature in Christ. And this isn't the only thing I remember from that speech, but it's one of the only things that stuck out so much. He would always say, and he's from the South, and he would always say, well, I'm just a dirty old sinner. And it just communicated so well the mentality that's kind of swept across the church, not only in the South, but here, uh, about thinking of yourself as a believer. And the thing is, it poses as humility. I'm just, a, I'm just a dirty old sinner. I'm just whatever. But it couldn't be farther from biblical truth if you are a believer. Folks, I'm here to tell you that you cannot define yourself as both a sinner and a saint. You need to own your new identity What did we just read? The old is gone. The new has come. You are a new creation. Yes, we all still battle against the flesh and against sin as believers, but that's very different from being defined by sin. The chains have been broken. The debt has been paid. You are no longer under sin, but you are under grace now. Church, you are not just a bunch of dirty old sinners who have been given tickets to heaven. You are saints God's beloved, members of a holy priesthood. Now, we also know that within every believer, there is a war at work between the spirit and the flesh. Romans 6 and 7 and many other places. But do not lose sight of the fact that the spirit is the clear victor both now and forever. Do not let your struggle with sin define your identity. But let your new identity in Christ define your struggle against sin. Let me say that one more time. Do not let your struggle with sin define your identity, 
But let your new identity in Christ define your struggle against sin. As Paul put it in Romans 8, 1 through 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The Greek there for the verb set you free is a very powerful word and it it implies bondage. It implies that you were in slavery. The question is, how do you think of yourself? And the answer to that question, it, it deeply affects how you share the gospel. If you really believe you are who God says you are, if you really believe you're a new creation in Christ, it will motivate you to act like it. The problem that we run into is an identity crisis when we choose to return to the shackles of sin that we were already freed from. It is that identity crisis that keeps our hands tied as followers of Christ. Brothers and sisters, if we aren't even sure about who we are in Christ, then how are we supposed to do things in his name? And what if you find yourself in this position today? How do you escape? Well, I'm excited to tell you that the answer is really quite simple. First, believe again in the complete forgiveness of Christ. You are a new creation. Even if you sin this morning, Christ has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. Believe in that reality again. Second, drop the shackles. Drop the chains and walk out of your cell because the shackles are unlocked, the chains are broken, and the door is wide open. Before Christ, sin was your master, but now it no longer is. The only person holding on to sin is you, and you don't have to anymore. Believe in who you really are and taste the freedom that was won for you on the cross. If you want to share the gospel better in 2023, own your new identity. Once you change your perspective about others and your your own identity, it will pave the way for you to embrace the ministry of reconciliation. I know those are big churchy words, but we're going to get into it. We're going to define what that is. So let's brush over the last section of our text one more time, starting with verse 18. And pay attention to the word reconcile or reconciliation. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has confirmed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in four verses there, uh, Paul uses the word reconcile five times. Now the Greek word here is katalasso, and it means to change or exchange. And the majority of the non-biblical usage is actually found in financial context. So when you think of this word, it might help to imagine yourself doing a transfer from your savings account to bounce out your overdrawn checking account. I'm sure none of you have ever done that before, ever. Anyway... This is really at the heart of what the word reconcile means in the passage. Okay, it's an exchange to balance out an overdrawn account. Without that knowledge, we might think that, the verse, that verse 21 at the end seems sort of out of place and not know what to do with it. But in reality, it perfectly fits the context. The last verse of this passage is a precise definition of how we have been reconciled to God in Christ. It says, He made the one who did not know sin... To be sin for us, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I know this is kind of intellectually heavy, but just stay with me a little longer as I try to make sense of this, and now would be a good time to look at that little diagram at the bottom of your bulletin or on screen. Without Christ, we all have an overdrawn account that we do not have the means to reconcile. Our account is overdrawn by sin. What we just read means that the sin was transferred onto Christ's account at the cross so that his righteousness could be transferred to our accounts, thereby reconciling us to God. That is what the ministry of reconciliation is in verse 18. As believers, our debt has been paid and God has given us the privilege of sharing that ministry with others. Again, in verse 19, the word of God says that the Lord has committed the message of reconciliation to us. In verse 20, we're called the ambassadors for Christ and that God is actually making his appeal through us. That we should actually be pleading to the world on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Guys, sharing the gospel isn't just some duty we are supposed to fulfill. Our Lord and Savior loves the lost. He wants them to be reconciled to God. He wants their sins to be paid for and their account to be balanced. And he is pleading to the world. And it's time for us to accept that we really are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Have you really embraced the ministry of reconciliation for yourself and the lost? Do you really believe that your sin was transferred to Christ and put to death on the cross so that righteous, God's righteousness could be transferred to your account? Have you accepted your God-given role to share that ministry with others and being the literal mouthpiece that Jesus wants to plead through? If you want to share the gospel better in 2023, you're going to need to embrace the ministry of reconciliation. And I know you're not going to believe it that I'm saying it this soon because you're not used to it. But in conclusion, I want to remind you that simply deciding to do a better job of evangelizing this year isn't going to do jack squat. You can't really make a lasting life change without changing your thinking first in any area. Remember the steps we learned straight from our text today. First, change your perspective about others. Reject impure, selfish, and divisive ways of thinking about the world and the church and start thinking of people as either in Christ or without Christ. Second, own your new identity. You've been set free. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Third, embrace the ministry of reconciliation. Your debt has been paid and exchanged for God's righteousness. But God didn't stop with you. Jesus is pleading to the world to be reconciled to God, and he has called us to be his ambassadors. On that note, maybe there's someone here today who has never been reconciled to God. And I want to tell you that Jesus Christ is pleading through me right now in this moment. His heart's cry is that you be reconciled to God. What we haven't talked about yet today is how to do that. How in the world can your debt be paid by Christ and God's righteousness be transferred onto your account? Well, the answer is faith. Faith in what? Faith in what we've talked about today. That Jesus, who is both Lord and God, really did die for your sins. And that he really did make a way for you to be made right with God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need Jesus to do our part for us. We were the ones who were supposed to suffer and die. The brokenness of humanity because of sin's curse 
is worthy of God's judgment. But Jesus took our punishment for us. And in exchange, he gave us the opportunity to be made right with God. The gift of a restored relationship with God. The gift of eternal life. Will you accept what Jesus has offered? I plead on behalf of Christ that you would. He loves you. He made a way for you. And he does not wish for you to face judgment. And neither do I. Let's pray. Lord, if there's anyone in this room right now who does not know you, I pray that in this moment that they would, they would pray these words to you and they can repeat in their heart after me to you, God. Lord, I know I need to be reconciled to you and maybe I don't fully understand everything yet, but I know I, know I, I want to accept your gift. I know you're offering me a gift. I know you, you died for my sins. I know you rose again. God, I, I believe in you. I believe in who you said you are. And I want to place my trust in you. But you really, really have made a way for me to be right with you. Lord, I want to be made right with you right now in this moment. Jesus, I, I'm giving you my life. Lord, and for those of us who, who already know you and have, have prayed that to you <laughs> and have given our lives to you, God, I pray that we would apply what we've, what we've learned from your word today. That we would go out into the world with changed thinking, not just changed actions this year. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.